I was uh, working at my desk one night. It was pretty late. It was about 1130. I had my headphones on, was jamming out to music and, and trying to work on a project. And I heard a gunshot. Um, and this one was loud. And uh, I, I recognized immediately that this was very close. It was probably right in front of my house. Listen up, gang. Lucky Gunner has both fantastic content and great prices on ammo. Enjoy the convenience of online purchase and crazy, super fast shipping. Experience why Lucky Gunner is one of our favorite spots on the Gunternet. Get-asp.com forward slash Lucky Gunner. And while you're there, you'll find Magtech ammunition. Magtech is the exclusive range ammo for the active self-protection team, and we are grateful for their commitment to quality and support. You can buy Magtech ammo at the Lucky Gunner link. Remember to tell them that you heard about them on the Asp podcast. Alrighty, folks, welcome back to the Active Self-Protection Podcast, now our third video version of the podcast. With me today, a new friend of mine, Isaac Chase. He is from Colorado Springs, Colorado. He is married with a couple of kids and some dogs, so he and I will get along just fine. Uh, he works in IT, and he is also uh, an instructor and the co-founder of Guns for Everyone. They can be found at gunsforeveryone.com. Isaac, how are you, sir? I'm doing great. How are you doing? It's wonderful. It's glad, glad to have you here. You know, um, I think it takes even more... Um, bravery to come on a video podcast because some of our guests <laughs> yeah. you know what i mean some of our guests uh yeah i like, had a, a little sweat break out there yeah like me person. they have a, they have a face for radio but uh you're yeah <laughs> you don't have that problem you don't have that problem yeah so talk to us about your uh your history so obviously you're you're uh, a gun enthusiast if you are in, uh, instructing people on how to use firearms so what got you started uh, down that path and sort of down your self-defense journey um, uh, I didn't really grow up with guns, but I did grow up with, uh, an interest in guns. Um, my dad, however, a Vietnam vet, he was not a big fan of, of guns. And so, uh, I didn't really start down that path until I was an adult. Uh, but pretty much as soon as I was, uh, old enough to buy my own firearms, I, I started getting interested in them. Uh, and, um, I'm a lifelong student and if I get interested in something, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna go deep into it. Uh, and so I spent a lot of time learning as much as I could, developing my own knowledge and, and skills around firearms. Um, around 2010, um, I started uh, an organization with a friend of mine with the interest of promoting gun knowledge, gun rights, gun community um, in general. And we moved into the training side pretty quickly as we started to recognize that there was a lot of people who just didn't even have a basic understanding of firearms. Um, and we felt, both of us felt um, equipped and led to, to take on that teaching role. Um, I was very apprehensive at first because I, I really didn't feel qualified. Uh, but over time, I started to realize that the education and training that I had put in for myself um, translated into something that I could share with other people. And so since 2011, I've been um, instructing part-time and full-time, uh, mostly focused on concealed carry, but uh, we do also encourage people to learn things about home defense, uh, medical skills, um, situational awareness, um, you know, all the things that come along with defense that don't even necessarily have to do with a firearm. So. Yeah, that sounds not unlike our mission at Active Self-Protection. Um, we, we don't just show videos for the fun of showing videos. Uh John and Neil and Steph have really dedicated their their lives to uh, to educating people and getting them some good information. A good example of which was at the NRA annual meeting when John uh, laid some truth on a 
a room of six or seven or 800 people about, uh, it, it's not, can I shoot? It's must I, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, people yeah. don't, I'm a big, I'm a big pro- proponent of, of what do I believe I need to do in this moment? Um, not just, you know, to keep yourself out of jail and, you know, and all that stuff. Um, but I think it brings a, a certain level of truth to, to what you're doing instead of looking for, um, you know, the door open for us to go through it. We put ourselves in a position where we, we make honest decisions and we make them, you know, we make big decisions quickly, um, which I have learned over time is, is just as important as what tools you have on you or, or, you know, things like that is, is being decisive and making that decision in that moment. Yeah, our, um, our motto here is attitude, skills, plan, and attitude is first for a reason, not just because it mm-hmm. matches up with the A and active self-protection, but also because uh, your your attitude towards your self-defense and your attitude towards the sanctity of life of other people, a lot of other things come in should come into your frame of, of mind uh, around using, a, say, a firearm for self-defense other than just, can I? Um, so mm-hmm. yeah, I'm, and I'm glad to yeah. hear someone like he was doing that sort of thing because... There's nothing worse than, you know, a new person who doesn't know what they don't know. It's not their fault. They don't know anything. They just don't know when mm-hmm. they're coming to get educated and they get this sort of condescending, you know, I'm the gum expert and, you know, uh, you know, you don't even know the difference between a clip and a magazine, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So I'm glad yeah. you're approaching it kind of from that angle. That's what it sounds like to me anyway. Yeah. I've actually stopped correcting people on clip because um, it's, it's like, it's the least important thing in the conversation usually. So. Yeah, it's one of those things that I, I think a lot of gu- experienced gun people or people who fancy themselves experienced gun people who maybe or maybe or maybe not actually um, yeah. like to go, it's not a clip, it's a magazine. It's like, well, yeah, okay, you could, you could point that out without being condescending and rude at the same time. But yeah. you're right. How important is it, honestly? Um, yeah. I, if I correct someone about stuff like that, I'll just say, oh, yeah, the magazine. I'll just say it, you know. And hopefully they catch on. If not, I'll know what they mean when they say clip. Yeah. Uh, Actually, one of your recent guests who was involved in a, a fatal shooting, you know, uh, the guy who was at Lu- uh, uh, Lubby's, Luby's, Luby's yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, he said clip. And I know that there are people like, oh, he said clip. I'm like, this yeah. guy has lived through <laughs> these two incidents. Right. And, and, you know, survived both of them. I'm not correcting him on anything. So. Yeah. How many, how many active shooter scenes have you been to? I've been to one. He's been to two. Uh, and I was a cop mm-hmm. for 30 years. So. I don't want to yeah. tell you something. Um, yeah. So talk to us about the uh, the incident in question. Where were you when when things kicked off? How did you know something was going on, and how did you respond to that? So um, I live in a you know a suburban neighborhood. Um, nothing special. Uh, I wouldn't call it a dangerous part of town, but it's not unusual you know to hear gunshots um, at different distances away. Uh, some people treat Colorado Springs like an open air gun range from time to time. So. Uh, if I hear gunshots and I hear them a certain distance away, I kind of ignore them. Uh, maybe that means I'm not in as safe as neighborhood as I think I am, but, um, I was, uh, working at my desk one night. It was pretty late. It was about 1130 at night. Uh, I had my headphones on, was jamming out to music and, and trying to work on a project. And I heard a gunshot. Um, and this one was loud. And, uh, I, I recognized immediately that this was, very close. It was probably right in front of my house. Um, and so I don't have a lot of windows on that side of the house. I, I don't have a good vantage point. Um, but I went to the one window that was close by and I looked out the window and I saw a, a vehicle approaching the corner of my street, no headlights driving very slowly. 
and then stopped at the stoplight and then took off down the street. So I was like, well, that must be the shooter. You know, nobody drives around with no headlights uh, for no reason. Um, I didn't get a good look at the car or I didn't think about getting a good look at the car. Uh, I think is more accurate. And I said, well, uh, if, if that was the shooter, then they're probably gone. So I'm going to see what happened, but I was going to not allow myself to get exposed too much. Mm -hmm. So I actually went out in my backyard and I started listening and I could hear somebody talking and it sounded like he was talking on a, on a telephone. Um, and pretty quickly I figured out this guy was talking to 911. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was telling them um, that he had been shot. He didn't know how bad it was. I could hear a lot of panic in his voice as he was talking to them. So a couple things went through my mind. Number one, um, you know, there's somebody hurt outside and I, I should probably do something about it. Number two, I should equip myself. So I went to, uh, my gun was already on me. I almost always have the gun on me. Uh, but I went to look for my phone and couldn't find my phone. You know, how, how often can you just not find your phone? But it was nowhere to be. Not found. often. Yeah. Yeah. And then I went to grab my medical kit, which um, I had just started learning how to use. This was um, this was about six years ago. And I had taken my first uh, trauma class and I had learned about, you know, keeping the blood in the body and and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And I had a trauma kit and I had no idea where it was. And <laughs> I was frustrated because I knew, you know, if this person was really hurt, uh, I didn't have a lot of time to look for it. So after searching for my phone and my med kit for about 30 seconds, I decided, you know what, it's more important that I just go out there. Mm -hmm. Um, So I went out there. I found a young man. Uh, I later learned he was uh, 19 and he was still on the phone and he was walking up and down the street. And I could see a pretty long and a pretty sizable blood trail following him up and down the street. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I thought, you know, this guy has got to get off of his feet. Um, if he continues to keep walking, he's just going to bleed worse than, than he already is. So um, it was dark. So I couldn't tell really what color the blood was. I couldn't tell if it was bright red or if it was dark. Um, so I grabbed a hold of him and and he... He seemed a little surprised to see me, but at the same time, you know, he didn't like freak out and try to punch me or anything. Right. And I, I grabbed him and I, I told him, you know, we need to, we need to sit down. We need to get you. Basically I was trying to get him as close to prone as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, so I could reduce his uh, stress level, his blood um, pumping, and also, you know, try to get a look at this wound. Um, got him down asked him where he was hurt. Uh, he said his lower left leg. So, uh, I found the bullet hole in his leg. It was in his calf. It was uh, lateral through his calf. Uh, so knowing what I know about anatomy, it's a small artery down there, but there's still an artery. Mm-hmm. And so, but it wasn't spurting or squirting. And so I was trying to assess what I was going to do here. I didn't have any gloves and, um, I wasn't, you know, enthusiastic about getting my hands bloodied if I didn't need to. Sure. Um, so I was trying to assess, you know, do I need to put some direct pressure on this? Is it really a bleeder? Is it not? Uh, as I was assessing him, he was still on the phone with 911 and a police officer showed up pretty quickly. And it was kind of amazing how quickly he found us because, uh, I'm, I'm assuming this guy didn't really know where he was when he was shot. So officer found us pretty quickly as he pulled up and he was getting out of his car. He didn't really say anything. 
I just told him, you know, gunshot, left leg, lots of blood, not sure, you know, if it's arterial. So the cop pulled a tourniquet off of his belt very quickly and put it high and tight on his left leg. Nice. And <laughs> that's uh, that's when this guy really started screaming uh, when that tourniquet went on. Um, the, the gunshot was not enough, you know, to really freak him out, but the tourniquet he started screaming so loud that that's when the neighbors started turning on their lights and coming outside and everything. So, um, ambulance showed up within a couple of minutes. Um, and they, you know, they put him on a, a stretcher and the officer called me away to, to start giving him some, some statements. Um, the guy survived, uh, I mean, not surprisingly, but I did read in the news a couple days later that he was okay. Um, but you know, I think it was simultaneously scary, but at the same time, it was, um, not as scary as it could have been if I had never done any kind of, you know, preparation mentally for that to happen. So, yeah, we talk about attitude, skills, and plan. Um, mm-hmm. th- we should include gear in there somewhere, I suppose, but, uh, the, yeah. the gear, the gear is implied probably, mm-hmm. but, uh, it's like anything else. Um, you remember the first time you drove a car? You were hyper aware of how hard you were hitting the gas and when and how hard you're hitting the brake and how much you're turning the wheel and how soon do I put my turn signals on. And after a year, you're on autopilot. You don't think about any of that stuff. You just do it and get better and better at it. Well, that can that can apply to a certain degree in, in the realm of, of first aid, of responding to incidents like this. That was your first time doing it. But you'd had probably a couple of mental reps. You'd given it some thought, which most people never do. Most people never consider buying like a trauma kit or even a, a stout first aid kit or learn things like how to pack a wound, how to apply a tourniquet. Speaking of the tourniquet, that's spot on. Right? We had a guy, when I was with my old agency in San Diego, we had a guy come in who got blowed up uh, in Iraq in an up-armored uh, Humvee. And it was one of these crazy plasma rounds. I don't know much about it. I'm, I may be talking, <laughs> uh, talking on the side of my neck at this point, but some kind of plasma round. Anyway, just melted through the um, through the metal on the side of this vehicle, and he needed a tourniquet or two. Um, and he said, uh, either he either said they disarmed me before they put the tourniquet on, or they should have. I can't remember which one it was. It's been quite a few years. But he said, yeah, if that tourniquet's on correctly, the person should be mad at you. Um, mm-hmm. because it's going to hurt a lot. And then we, of course, during the class, we applied tourniquets to each other enough to show we'd stop the blood to a limb. And it is a uniquely painful. Imagine the worst pinch you ever had in your life and then add like a thousand mm-hmm. pounds of pressure to it. Yeah. It's decidedly unpleasant. So I've done some subsequent training uh, since then. And, and in the training, uh, when we get to tourniquets, um, some instructors are a little less um, enthusiastic about the tourniquet. They're like, okay, this is how it works. And you would tighten it down this much, No, you know, but you don't have to. And, um, you know, I'm not trying to hurt anybody, but when it comes time to put a tourniquet on me, uh, either I'm doing it myself or I'm asking somebody else to do it. I tell them I do it until you don't feel feel a pulse, Um, both for my own benefit and for their benefit that I am used to what that feels like. And also that they're used to inflicting that kind of pain on another person in that circumstance. Um, Cause when I first learned how to do a tourniquet, it was a, kind of the same thing. Like you would wrap it this tightly. And uh, I don't think that quite gets the message across. So Yeah. I'll concur a hundred percent. That's why our instructor um, did, a, did a very good job of, of setting things up and of having us apply tourniquets to each other and, and make it hurt. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, do it until you can't feel a pulse, which is literally the point. 
of mm-hmm. a tourniquet is to stop blood flow into that into that uh, that extremity. Um, yeah. Had you been on this sort of journey, you said you had a gun on you, so clearly you'd been on you'd, you'd been on a self defense in that mindset for some period of time. Mm-hmm. Had you been on that sort of journey for a while when this kicked off, or were you relatively new to kind of thinking about self-defense and firearms and medical aid and that sort of thing? Um, I had been on this journey for a long time, but the medical thing had not clicked yet. Um, I, I would say it clicked. It, it was in the process of clicking. Um, I, you know, I had known that it was important. Um, we, we had hosted um, a paramedic who was kind of doing his own version of Stop the Bleed and you know, we do a lot of our classes or most of our classes for free. And so when we're trying to develop a new class, we have to include that as part of the model. And so it was a volunteer, you know, paramedic who said, you know, I know how this is important. And so I want to help you guys. But it wasn't really formalized. It wasn't like a formalized curriculum that this guy was presenting. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was helpful. But at the same time, um, I think that lack of formalization uh you know, has its own consequences. Um, and so when I was thinking about this, it was more of like, well, if this ever happens, you know, um, I'll have my tools, but I hadn't really translated that into skills quite yet. Hmm. And I think that that's, that actually happens to a lot of people. They understand the context, they understand the concept, but without some kind of introduction to the actual event, it remains more of a concept and less of a skill. Um, and yeah, that, I agree. That's true for situational awareness. That's true for medical. That's true for violence. That's true for a lot of things. Um, and, and this this was like a wake up call for the medical side and understanding that you know you don't have a lot of time to act here, and somebody's life might be in the balance, and you don't have time to be figuring out you know how to work the tourniquet or even where to find it. Um, while somebody is, is bleeding, you know? So, yeah, absolutely. Um, we still see somehow we, we, John and I earlier today did a bunch of badge cam voiceovers where we do the breakdown, the analysis. And I think in that span of six videos, there were two cops who didn't have their medical on their person, not even a tourniquet, you know, where it's like, mm-hmm. Hey, go get my tourniquet out of the car. No, mm-hmm. uh, that's the wrong answer. As a, as a police officer, as a sheriff's deputy, you could end up in a foot pursuit outside of your car and you could, you could be three miles away from that car before you realize, you know, oh, crap, I need a tourniquet or I've shot someone, uh, you know, and I don't want this person to die if I can avoid it. So you want to apply it to them. You don't have it with you. You don't have it with you. It doesn't do you any good. Mm-hmm. So I can't stress that enough. I know we have some LE who watch the show, but for first for, excuse me, for, for self-defenders, I think what you have to ask yourself is what am I more likely to need between now and the day I die when I'm out in the world, a medical kit or a gun? And the mm-hmm. answer is a medical kit. You're almost certainly at some point going to use a medical kit, whereas God willing, probably you'll never even draw that gun. So like John likes to say, if you're out in the world with a pistol and a reload and no med kit, fix yourself. You know, if you have mm-hmm. to choose between a reload, an extra magazine or clip, if you like an extra magazine uh, and a med kit, the med kit every day, all day, every day. Right. Just make sure you have enough yeah. rounds in your pistol. You know, make sure you don't have a, a five shot snub nose <laughs> revolver or whatever. You're going to say, yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. So I was just going to say, um, you know, so from that day on, um, I always know where my med kit is. Now, I'm not 100% on carrying it on my body uh, all the time. And, you know, I, that's something that I've worked to get better at. You know, incorporating new gear into your life always, mm-hmm. you know, takes some kind of, uh, adjustment and transition. 
Um, but um, my goal is always improvement. But I can tell you for certain, I always know where that kit is. Um, it is <clears throat> it's a priority of mine uh, when I, if I put it down, that I know where I left it and, uh, and making that part of my daily routine. So. so let me ask you this before I forget. When the officer approached you, were you concealed? Your firearm was concealed? Did he see it? Did he? Was there any point in which he um, thought you might I be the bad guy? I was carrying appendix. Um, I don't normally carry appendix, but um, I was experimenting with it at that time. And I was carrying an appendix with a uh, with a sweatshirt on. So, okay. uh, no, he did not see it. I didn't tell him. Um, I didn't tell the officer that I was talking with either, because uh, I knew you know it wasn't going to be part of the conversation unless for some reason they decided I was some kind of a suspect. But um, considering I was helping the guy who got shot, they, I, I thought that was like not very likely that they were going to treat me that way. Sure. Um, so that was not a an issue or concern for, uh, at that moment. So talk to us about gunshots in the wild. I have been on a non-range situation where a gun is fired out in the wild, out in the world, not on the range. And the first time you hear it, it's, you don't forget it. It's very startling. It's a very distinct sound. Uh, Stephanie Widener likes to say, if you're in a situation, if something doesn't feel right, you need to rapidly and radically accept reality. We've talked about that before on the podcast as well. What, was the first thought in your head when you heard that gunshot? I assume it was a pistol. So you hear it. And what's the first thing that goes through your head? Uh, the first thing that went through my head was that was definitely a gunshot. Okay, good. And that was the closest I've ever had one to my house. Okay. And my second thought was that was close enough that this is my problem. Not, you know, I right. can't just ignore this. Sure. Um, and, you know, my problem, my my first thought is, you know, is my house, is my dwelling secure. Uh, and then from there, you know, if somebody was hurt, um, this is my problem, you know, um, I mean, it's not my problem legally, but, uh, it would be, I would feel like it would be hypocritical of me to, to leave somebody out there shot when I, my goal is to teach people how to keep themselves safe. Sure. You know? Um, and so, uh, knowing that this was, um, potentially, you know, an assault situation and not just somebody firing off rounds. Um, my plan was to not get myself hurt, uh, or not put myself in any, uh, unnecessary danger. So that's why I looked out the window. As soon as I saw that car leave, I was confident that, um, the primary danger was gone. Um, not a hundred percent certain, but safe enough now to go out into the backyard and in here. So I think in my head, it was just this idea of like, this is, for real, this is dangerous and don't do anything that your wife would be angry about afterwards. <laughs> Always a good policy. So real quick before I forget also, your wife and kids, where are they when this is all happening? Are they home? Are they not um, home? Kids all slept through it. Uh, my wife. Of course um, they did. Yeah, my wife, I, I believe she might have been awake and heard it. She was upstairs in bed. Um, she didn't do anything. She didn't get out of bed, but I think at some point she came downstairs and she, she knew that I wasn't in the house. Mm -hmm. Um, but she didn't come out. Uh, there were emergency lights now everywhere. And so, um, she didn't come outside. She was, if I remember right, I think she was texting me, but my phone was still not in my possession. Right. So, you know, I didn't, I didn't have anything to, to, to receive messages on. Um, so I, I, I stayed outside and talked with the officers for probably about 15 minutes. Um, they actually wanted to come in my backyard because it looked like the uh, bullet may have gone into my backyard. So they were looking to see if they could find it. Um, they didn't find it, but um, 
so I came in and, and then, you know, she was asking questions. Um, I bet. And I, I was actually relatively calmed down by that point, which was important, you know, to, to not get her any more nervous than she needed to be. So, so is your wife also a, a concealed weapons holder or no? No, no. Um, just morally and mentally, she, she, she's not, um, she's not in the place where she feels like she could do that to another. I person, think that's, I think it's know. fine. I think that's great. We talk all the time. You've heard this. It's kind of, people are probably tired of hearing it, but I, I can't say it enough. You need to have that conversation with yourself. She had that conversation with herself and deduced that she's not, in, not ready to do that. And I applaud that. Mm-hmm. It's like people who don't want kids. Please don't have kids if you don't want kids. Yeah. <laughs> like, don't feel some societal obligation to have kids and then, yeah. you know, mistreat them and ignore them. Um, so I think it's great. I love an example of someone who's like, you know what? I'm just not ready to do maybe in the future. Uh, you know, Mrs. Asp has has uh, come a long way as far as uh, guns go. My wife, too. The lovely and fetching Mrs. Willover uh, was not a fan of guns uh, when we met and didn't like the fact that I had one. I was law enforcement at the time. And didn't like the fact that I had one around the kids and et cetera, et cetera. But she's come a long way since then. So I'm glad that your wife had that conversation. And it's perfectly okay to be interested in self-defense. It's perfectly okay to listen to this show, to watch ass videos, to take classes in self-defense and decide a gun's not for you. Don't let anyone tell you that that makes you anything other than a, a great person. The fact that you realize, okay, I don't know that I could do that. Uh, or maybe I need some time is is critical. So I'm, I'm glad we had that conversation. Now, have you talked to your yeah. kids? about what to do if we're out and about and uh, daddy's gun comes out or daddy tells you to do a thing. Like if you guys had that conversation, like, they're older now, I know, but um, yeah, kind of informally uh, it wasn't like a sit down and we're, we're going to talk about it. It's more of like, uh, you know, more casual conversations where uh, you know, I'll, I'll let them know. Like if, if, if this were to happen, then I would expect you to do this. Um, my kids are, have gotten to the point where they can be out on their own. my, my youngest was out at the mall, you know, uh, this last weekend with her friend, you know, so they're old enough to do that. Um, so I've had those conversations from time to time of what I expect from them. Um, uh, you know, when you're, when you're young, uh, don't be afraid to, to, to make a scene. If you feel like somebody is acting strange around you, um, don't, you know, don't be afraid to trust your gut. You're never going to be in trouble for me. If you did something, because you thought you were in danger. That's a great point. Um, you know, because I think for, I mean, what I remember from growing up, I was always afraid I was going to get in trouble if I, uh, if I acted in a way in, in some kind of self-defense way. And I, it's not my parents' fault. I think it was just, that's just human that nature, had, you know, internalized it. And you don't want to be wrong. We're like, Oh no, I overreacted. And now I'm embarrassed. Mm-hmm. Screw that. Be embarrassed yeah. all day. I'll be embarrassed every day for the rest of my life. If it means I yeah. don't get killed, you know? Yeah, that's absolutely. important to know. Do you want to yeah. uh, give another plug to Guns for Everyone before we part ways? Yeah, I mean, um, like I said, our goal is to provide as much free training to the public uh, as we possibly can. Um, mostly, we do concealed carry classes. Um, we've also done some medical classes. Uh, we do home defense classes occasionally, and you know, the idea here is to make that information accessible to people. It's one of the things that I like about this, that your show, your podcast is it, it makes this information accessible and, and you have no idea how helpful that could be to somebody who, you know, who may never find themselves in a class, but would listen to a podcast or, sure. or in our case would take a class because it was free as opposed to getting over, not just the mental 
hurdle to show up to a class, but also to pay for it on top of that, you know, um, provide, I think the work that you do is, is really in the same spirit as what we're trying to do, which is, is to make people access or make this information accessible to people. Um, cause you never know what's going to help somebody. And I, I've heard a number of times of people on your show talking about something they heard from you guys or something that they saw that changed the way they think about this. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what we're trying to do as well is, is to, is to get into people's heads and help them mentally first. And then from there, um, with their skills and their plan and, and their equipment and all that stuff. Yeah. So, something about what you said sparked something in my brain, which is John, um, John and Steph like to say, look, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> not good in the video podcast. Uh, <laughs> you know, that self-defense is for everyone. Your, your organization is called guns for everyone. You know, nobody, you never find people who object to the idea that everyone is entitled to sell their own self-defense to protect themselves mm-hmm. from criminality, from harm, from some kind of assault. As soon as you as soon as you enter the word gun in there, everyone loses their mind for some reason, even though the gun is mm-hmm. literally just a tool to protect mm-hmm. yourself with. It can be misused like any other product can be misused. A car could be misused. Uh, you know, a glass bottle could be used to kill someone, but we're not banning glass bottles. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. uh, I think you're doing the Lord's work out there. Uh, Isaac, I appreciate you coming on. And uh, you got my email if I can do a thing for you. Find yourself here in Tucson. Let me know. We'll get together, have a coffee or something. Well, thank you. Uh, thank you for having me on. I really appreciate it. And um, your, your podcast is... is uh it's not just interesting because of the content, but you're doing a great job running it as well. I keep it interesting, and I really enjoy listening to it. That brings me to the last point. If you're watching this on the app, I'm not sure you can radio review it, but if you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, wherever you are, do us a favor, leave us a five-star review, and get on there and write something nice about me and or the show. It really helps drive this content so more people can... Uh, find it when they're browsing around looking for shows to watch or listen to and i think what we're doing here is valuable and and i appreciate isaac for saying that isaac a pleasure thank you sir thank you very much mike appreciate it well already again welcome back to the gutowski file starring Stephen gutowski Stephen is the founder of the reload.com and the host of the weekly reload podcast uh tell us Stephen, who was on the weekly reload podcast this week uh, you know, you'd think I would remember these things after. I actually know the answer to this. Was it was it Alan Gottlieb? I don't know. It was Alan Gottlieb. Okay. That's right. Because when we do these shows, I'm in the middle of scheduling the guest for the next episode. I, I know the so feeling, sir. Like, Trust me. Which one is which? Yes, we had Alan Gottlieb from the Second Man Foundation on. We talked to him about, uh, there's a Wall Street Journal piece that raised some questions about his uh, the financing over at the, the Second Man Foundation and they're related party transactions. And so he, he came on and answered all the questions. And I think that, um, you know, people should check that out. And, you know, with any of these charities, any of these gun groups, you always want to make sure that you do your due diligence before you give them your money. And so this was, this was his opportunity to come on and clear up any uh, accusations. He's also suing the, uh, the Washington state attorney general who initiated an investigation against the Second Amendment Foundation. They haven't filed any charges against them, so it's pretty different from the NRA situation. But they kind of dragged them through this whole investigative process. And so, uh, and they're claiming that it's basically harassment because of their political beliefs. And so they filed a, a civil rights case against the Attorney General. And he details all this in the show. It's pretty interesting. Okay, sounds good. So check it out over at thereload.com or on YouTube, on the YouTube channel. This week, we are discussing an article over at The Reload, which I happen to have right in front of me, 
Um, the title of this written by Stephen Gutowski, uh, Fifth Circuit Blocks Biden Pistol Brace Ban. Now, that seems on its face to be a very straightforward story. Stephen informs me reliably that it is not as simple as it seems. So talk to us about what happened over there. And, and uh, I guess some people, before we get started, some people might not know if if a circuit in the federal circuit um, does a thing, does it affect all the circuits or just that circuit? Could we start there and then talk to us about what happened in the fifth circuit? Yeah, well, I'm smiling because it's it's complicated. The court, these courts are not simple to navigate, as uh, people probably realize. But yeah, generally speaking, a circuit ruling, like a ruling in one of the circuits, the Fifth Circuit in this case is like Texas and Louisiana, and um, usually their rulings won't have any impact outside of that circuit, uh, and that's why things called circuit splits happen. You have one circuit rule a certain way and another circuit rules another way. And that's why we have a Supreme Court to do, to go in and decide on the questions when the circuits below them are split, right? And so that's where you get that circuit split terminology from uh, and how a lot most uh, Supreme Court cases are, are determined in terms of whether they're going to take a case or not. But in this case, sometimes you will get judges that will issue nationwide injunctions that'll just block enforcement across the country. Uh, that's a somewhat controversial uh, thing because it's happened more, re uh, you know, a lot more in recent times, mm -hmm. and some people don't like that. The federal judiciary has gone in that direction of having single judges try to block enforcement of a law for the entire country. Uh, this case is even more complicated than all that stuff. Um, this case deals with President Biden's pistol brace uh, ban, where he has made it so that you have to register all of your pistol brace equipped guns, or at least that's sort of the implication from the rule if you read it, um, or else they're not legal to possess anymore. It'd be a violation of the National Firearms Act because the ATF has now decided that all or most guns that have pistol braces attached to them are in fact short barrel shotgun or short barrel shotguns or short barrel rifles, mm -hmm. uh, which are NFA items and require registration and tax stamp and so forth. And they've allowed this grace period for people to register the old ones that they, they bought years ago or just up until recently. Uh, and they waive the tax. But at the end of this month, um, you know, the beginning of June, that's when the, that grace period ends. And so you've got these court cases coming in and we have this one in the fifth circuit where the lower court judge declined to block the rule before it went into effect. And now you have this appeal court, which is a panel of, of three judges and they have issued an injunction against enforcement of the, the pistol brace rule by the ATF. But the complicated bit is that it seems to only apply to plaint the plaintiffs in the case, the named plaintiffs, so the people who actually are directly involved in the lawsuit. That's odd. Uh, and this gets even a little more confusing because one of the people or entities involved in this lawsuit is the Firearms Policy Coalition, which is a gun rights group that mm -hmm. has a bunch of donors and members. And so it's, uh, there's also a, uh, a gun company, Maximum Defense, that is a named plaintiff in this case. And so it's not clear from the ruling because the ruling is only a sentence long. It just says 
the request to for preliminary injunction is granted as applied to the plaintiffs. Um, and so does that mean that everyone who's donated to FPC is, is now protected by this ruling? Does it mean that anyone who buys a pistol braced gun from maximum defense is protected by this ruling? It's not clear. Uh, and so actually you had the firearms policy coalition file a request from the judges to clarify it. They, they want them to say exactly what this means. Yeah, that is odd. I can't, I'm trying to think if I've ever heard of this happening before where there was a ruling, first of all, that, that short, I mean, it got to the point, but that, that led to this sort of confusion. Can you recall this ever happening before? Cause I can't. Yes, there's, this has happened recently, a similar sort of scenario with another one of president Biden's executive gun actions. There was the, before the pistol brace rule, uh, as we've talked about on the show before, Biden had put in place a, a, the, his ghost gun rule, you know, this rule that changes how the ATF regulates unfinished firearms parts uh, in order to try and ban the sale of, you know, kits to make your own gun at home um, without the, with unserialized parts. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and there was a case called Vanderstock where the judge kept uh, issuing these the similar sort of preliminary injunctions, but, they would only apply to the named plaintiffs in the case. Uh, but the named plaintiffs in the case also happen to be like the biggest players in the market for these uh, sorts of devices. And in that case, you had, uh, I think, Polymer 80 and Defense Distributed intervened or like requested to intervene. So they, once the ruling came out, they wanted to be part of the protections that the judge was issuing. And, and they got that. Uh, the judge in that case, which was also in the Fifth Circuit, issued those uh, orders that sort of expanded his order to protect those other businesses, which kind of, while it doesn't lead, it isn't a total prohibition on the ATF enforcing that rule, it's kind of almost effectively that because they can't arrest anyone who works at those companies or who buys from them. And those are the companies that make all of these uh, unfinished firearms parts for them. You know, they, they make them, they make up the majority of the market. What a world it would be, Stephen, if our federal law enforcement, A, was a lot smaller than it is, but that aside, uh, if they actually just spent all their time looking for people doing criminal things instead of making new criminals out of people who are minding their own business. I'm editorializing, folks. So I always want to be clear about that. Stephen's a real journalist. I'm not. I'm a podcast host. You know, we're going to keep it brief this week. Stephen, I appreciate you fitting me in. A busy schedule. Um, so I understand you another year at CNN. You're going to be st staying over there for at least another year. Is that true? Uh, yeah, we're looking at the renewal process right now. Very good. Um, and so I should be signing my, my renewal contract soon. So yeah, I'm looking forward to to appearing on there as many times as, as possible, trying to get some, uh, bring some interesting stories to the table that might not otherwise see broader uh, coverage. So that's, sure. That's my hope. And I said it before. We're glad to have you over there. We're glad to have a reasonable, sane person over there uh, talking about reasonable, sane things that relates to firearms, Second Amendment. If you, dear listener, dear viewer, are limiting the lack of down the middle, sane, sober reporting on the Second Amendment and all things gun related, do me a favor. Go over to thereload.com. Carefully consider getting a membership. Uh, CNN does not pay all Stevens' bills. He needs your money to continue his important work. Uh, and uh, so, we, we, as I said last week, we want to see The Reload be a massive media empire that Steven sits on top of. 
like some kind of fat cat. I've said fat twice in two weeks, and he's definitely not fat. <laughs> That's all I have for this week, Stephen. I appreciate you, and as always, you have the last word. Absolutely.